Good morning. So we find ourselves in this peculiar in-between sort of time. It's no longer Thanksgiving, but it is not quite Christmas. Our refrigerators probably still have some leftover turkey in them. We're probably a little tired of the turkey. And maybe we have not quite yet made sugar cookies. We're in between the pumpkin spice and the mistletoe. We have likely put up our trees, but we have yet to start on our chocolate advent calendar. Well, I mean, you are supposed to wait. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But today we have this uniquely its own Sunday, Christ the King Sunday. It is also the end of our liturgical year, which may not mean as much to you unless you are in charge of changing out the pyramids or the banners. You'll notice we have white today. Or picking out your stole or the sash color for acolytes. Just checking, we all got white today, good job. The liturgical calendar is a rhythm for a year that reminds us to slow down, to enjoy each season as its own, and not just lump them together. We have been in the green season, known as ordinary time, and not because it is boring, but because it isn't festival, holiday, fancy time. Today the color is white, Next Sunday is when Advent begins, and in some churches that is purple, but in Mount Olivet that is blue. And so today, believe it or not, as odd as it may seem, is our New Year's Eve, and not to be rushed over or lumped in with the other holidays. The first Sunday of Advent will mark the beginning of a new year and the beginning of the story of Jesus. But today, we take the time to finish out this year. And you don't even have to stay up until midnight. The culmination of the year is in our understanding of God, incarnate, born as a baby in Bethlehem, and understanding that this Jesus, this child, is our King, which is why today is known as Christ the King Sunday. What does it mean that Jesus is king? What does it mean for us? In part, for us to say that Jesus is king, it is to pledge our allegiance to Jesus, not to Caesar, not to the state or empire or to the nation. It flies in the face of Christian nationalism or any type of ethnocentric view. Christ is our ultimate concern not our nation, not our political leaders, not even our own personal self-interest. The important idea is not that God is a ruling, elite, powerful male leader, but to remember that the power for Christ is in his divinity. God is all-creating, all-loving, all-wise. God is God, and we are not. We are not all-creating, all-loving, all-wise. We are limited, finite, in our lifespans, and in our concerns. 
Even the most globally conscious and socially aware among us struggle to care beyond our own concerns. Our little lives and worries pale in comparison to the one who created the cosmos, hung the stars in the sky, and wove streams across the face of the earth. Bruce Epperly is a professor at Wesley Theological Seminary. He's a theologian and an author. And of this Sunday, he writes, though we are tempted to create God in our image, we need to take seriously the images of the loving power, power that heals in our understanding of God and human agency. Indeed, our images of God may be a matter of life and death, of affirmation and exclusion, of love and hate. God's power is aimed at wholeness and healing, not coercion and domination. Power, of course, is the sort of thing that can be good or evil. In and of itself, it's a neutral thing. Unlimited power, almighty, omnipotent, these are concepts that we attribute to God. Concepts that also sometimes lead to a fear of God, that God might use that power against us. To celebrate the power of Christ, to celebrate the reign of Christ, we must remember that when we speak of God, that God's power is defined by love, not exploitation or control, not by war or economic abuse. The gospel overall tells us that we are always both giving and receiving, and that God also is always both giving and receiving. In the lesson that Jim read for us, we heard that when we gave food, water, or a sense of welcoming, or clothing, or tender care, or simply our time and our presence, when we gave those things to those who needed it, we were also giving them to God. In serving those who were in need of the basic needs of humanity, from food and clothing to water and companionship, we are also serving God. God is also receiving that care and love and sense of belonging. We receive the love of God and we turn around and love others. We receive the unearned grace from God and are taught to be merciful to others. We are recipients and so we give. Now it is the wrap-up of our stewardship campaign, which means that in the tradition of a long line of preachers, I am to urge you to dig deep and give to the church. And while we might dread these sorts of conversations, while we might think of parting with money as painful or stressful or anxiety-inducing, it should be a joyful thing, a joy-filled thing. This stewardship season, our wonderful speakers, those who have written in their testimonies that we have shared, they highlight common themes around giving. 
themes that are not about reluctantly offering something pleasing and acceptable to God. But as it is with gift giving, we often find more joy in picking out and giving gifts rather than receiving. We have heard wonderful stories about what Mount Olivet has meant to individuals and families and the ways that they hope that Mount Olivet will continue to be meaningful in the future. We give of our resources, our money, portions of our income, not just because we enjoy worshiping here or because we enjoy volunteering with community assistance or because we enjoy our Sunday school class or choir or band or youth group, but because we want this experience of worship and mission and connection for other people and for generations to come. We grow weary of institutions and authority, of power and abuse, and rightly so. But our churches exist because congregations fund them to do so. When I sit down to write a stewardship letter, which if, you have your, if we have your address, you would have received in the mail, but you can also find it on our website. I try to tell the story of why you should want to give, but also of why this church, this particular congregation on Glebe Road, this building, this entity, this organization, this group of people, why we should get to exist right now and in the future. And these are words for you, words of gratitude and also words of love. These words are why I love getting to serve Mount Olivet, why I love getting to do ministry here with each one of you, why I love Mount Olivet. Because it is a privilege to me. It is my deep joy to serve and also to pledge my own gifts. And in part, I get to serve a church where my eight-year-old loves that he gets to sing songs in Latin and wear a choir robe and eat ice cream with the youth group, thanks Mr. Bill, where my 13-year-old can go on mission trips and also sing in the choir and lead art projects and where both of them are loved and welcomed exactly as they are, for exactly who they are becoming. In conversations around stewardship or within our new members groups, the question of what brings you to Mount Olivet and then the question what made you stay are both vitally important for those who have just arrived and for those who've been here for many, many years. What brought you here? What keeps you here? Increasingly, the what brings you here centers around the website or finding that Reconciling Rainbow Ministry badge because they are looking for a church that will be safe either for themselves or those that they love. The what made you stay is finding out that we mean it when we say that we are welcoming. There is such beauty in this place. There is also such deep thoughtfulness and kindness among the people of Mount Olivet, among all of you, all of us.
And whether you've been here for decades or just a few Sundays, whether you are an official member or belong on your own terms, you are part of something special. A Sunday morning in worship means soaringly gorgeous hymns and anthems of organ and choir. It also means rocking it out in the way. It means hot coffee, which I can smell right now, and snacks. It means our Sunday school relationships and chatter and kids and crafts and giggles. There is so much that is mean and nasty in the world, so much that is violent and heartbreaking. And the church can and should be not only a place to worship and serve God, but also for all of us to recharge in a place of gentleness for the not-so-gentle world. For generations, for almost 170 years, Mount Olivet has been a church. That we are the oldest continually meeting church in Arlington is something to be proud of. That we are the oldest continually meeting and also vibrant and forward-focused is even more important. We are mindful and value our history, but we are not a shrine to the past. We value and are careful with our history and our stories and our memories with the saints who have found their final resting place on our grounds for the legacies of love and service that they have left behind. But we are also focusing on the future planting seeds for trees we will never see, working to provide a place for future generations to find that same vibrant and gentle community of God followers. And so as we begin to decorate, as we begin to dream of sugar plums, as we eat the last of that turkey and decorate our gingerbread houses, may we also remember that we are preparing for both the birth and the return of Christ. We celebrate the ongoing, already, and not yet reign of Christ. Believing that resting within that divine power of Christ, we can all do something beautiful in the world, together with God's help. Amen. <laughs>